We're in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, incidentally, this teaching I've titled, The Attention We Need. This is the attention we need. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Make sure you have your Bible with you, and go ahead and open up there. There's a bunch of things we're going to see here in the Scripture. So if you have your Bible or Bible app on your phone, open up to Matthew 6, and we're going to get into it. Now, we're studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what I'm calling his kingdom ethics, a new way to be human. This is what Jesus is revealing to us. Last week, Brett looked at a few really challenging statements that Jesus makes, uh, one about murder and hatred, about adultery and lust, about divorce and victimizing your spouse, oaths and being a man or woman of your word, and finally, allowing injustices to happen to you in order to win your enemies by love. Whoa. Like, that's, that's pretty radical stuff that he's getting into, heavy stuff. And if you felt like we buzzed through that too quickly, uh, we just want to say, don't worry. Uh, we still have 22 more chapters in Matthew to go. Okay? And to Brett's points, uh, Jesus is going to fulfill all these things. He's going to do all these things, and we're going to to read about it in chapters to come. Uh, And he does that because, as Brett said, he's a king and a ruler and a lawmaker who actually sticks to his word. Isn't that nice? Doesn't that sound good? Becoming an atonement also for our failure, the things where we have failed, Jesus steps in. So uh, there's that. And then secondly, uh, we're going to revisit a lot of these topics later, and we're going to spend some more time with them, as I said a second ago. And the point is that we would actually learn how to do the same things Jesus did. Now, hear us say that all the time. This is what discipleship is. It's, yes, spending time with Jesus, but it's also learning for him, take him seriously that he is our teacher, and then intending to go do the things that Jesus taught us. So I'm not going to put that list back up here, but that's some heavy stuff. That's going to take some deep soul work in all of us to let it soak in. Now, again, this is not a question of our salvation, right? If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are saved, but our sanctification As Paul would advocate in the epistles, we are being sanctified. That is, becoming like Christ and doing the things Jesus did, bringing heaven, as we just sang ago, bringing heaven to earth. Okay, so now today, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Um, Now, there's a few ways to look at this chapter. Some choose to look at it as piety, that is, like our spiritual actions, our good deeds. Um, Others would call this section the secret life. What I'm calling it, as I said before, is the attention you and I need. The attention we need. It'll make sense in a second. Before we work through the text, uh, I think it's really important that you guys are taking notes. Now, I say this not just simply for a transfer of knowledge, right? There's no, there's no test at the end of our teaching, right? So it's not so much that you get all the answers correct, but rather that you can journal through what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. What the Holy Spirit might be saying to you this morning through the scripture might be through a song. It might be a word from somebody else, but that you're recording that because there's no way you're going to remember a week from now, right? We just don't. We just don't have that sort of memory. So it's really important. If you're taking notes, uh, we have journals in the back. You can grab them. They're free and there's pens. You can take notes on the connect cards in the seat in front of you. Um, I love to just do it on my phone, you know, because I'm, I'm usually on my phone the next morning. I can see those notes and go, oh, yeah. Jesus or the Holy Spirit spoke this. I need to work through that. I need to deal with that. So please make sure you're taking notes. Um, Here's an outline for this morning. I like outlines. I'm super organized like this. So 
uh, one, the attention we need, verses one through seven and 16 and 18 through 18. Second thing we're going to get into is the Lord's Prayer, which is put in the middle of this section. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to talk about belonging and behavior. So let's start. You guys ready? Let's pray. Let's pray one more time, if you will, with me. Holy Spirit, we ask that you do the things that are impossible for men. That's impossible for me. It's impossible for our technology, so to speak, that you would connect the dots in our souls. Lord, you know where we're at, and therefore you also know where you need to take us. And so over the next 20 minutes now, we just commit this time again to you. Would you speak? Would you move? Amen. We live in an attention-craved world, don't we? Yeah, before the internet, we found our identity being shaped by how we dressed, right? I know you guys are thinking, wow, he put on another stellar outfit this morning. I know, I know. (laughs) It's amazing what you can find in your closet when you don't care. Uh, We find our identity through a car or in Redmond through the truck, right? And it means a lot here in Redmond. I've noticed that. Like, it's not good enough to have a truck with the number one in it. It has to have, like, a, a three and a five, right? The extended cab, the extended bed, the, I don't know what I'm talking about, but you get what I'm saying, right? We find our identity in the size of our house, or how many acres you own, or uh, if you can hunt on those acres, if you know what I'm saying, right? Or how about the amount of kids you have? Sometimes we find our identity in how successful they've come. Think like, oh, my child is an honor student at, you know, whatever elementary. And this need for attention stems right from our childhood, For example, my oldest brother, uh, you know, felt the pressure that any older brother would, that is to do well. He needed to perform well. And so growing up, he had to get good grades, of course. You know, he's the first child, so there's lots of focus and attention on him. And to this day, he he has a great paying job, a healthy family. I'm pretty sure he makes way more money than I do. Um, He's doing well. My middle brother is a clown. He had to fight for attention all the time. And he was entertaining us. He was making jokes. And go figure, now he's 40 years old, he's still a clown. You know? Myself, you know, how do I compete? So my identity is basically shaped in this. I would just go hide in my room and play Legos. And when I was ready, I would bring out my masterful Lego creation to get attention. Like, look at this thing. Go figure. Like, right now in my life, I'm a musician. I do the exact same thing. I write songs, and then I present. Look at my thing. Look. Give me attention, parents. So what we do in our childhood shapes our identity. In school, you can think of it just like the different groups you might have been a part of or weren't a part of, right? The jocks or the gamers, the skaters, the band kids, the honor students, the smart kids, the Christians, the bad kids, the, I call them like the Too Fast and Furious crew. I know there's a lot of those around here in Redmond too because I used to hear them, you know, where you buy like the super entry-level Honda or Toyota and then just soup it up like crazy so it makes loud noises, right? The Too Fast and Too Furious, they're around. But now at the center of our cultural moment is social media, isn't it? It's accepted as the new social medium for for everything we do. Before COVID-19 hit, that was our primary influence. We can find ourselves mindlessly scrolling through social media feeds such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Tumblr, they keep coming, I know, TikTok as the instant gratification and likes 
and comments and favorites keep us awake. And when you detach from your phone just for that brief moment, it's only a matter of time, right, before you get back to your phone, check it out, the instincts, hoping for another like, another tag, another comment. We love Facebook. We love Instagram. Uh, Not just for others' content, but for the instant gratification that it gives us. It speaks into our identity, the things we post, the content we own, receiving praise for them. Um, You know, what's really funny to me is, like, if you did Instagram or Facebook, you were kind of like, made an excuse, like, oh, no, no, I do this to stay connected with my family, you know, my extended family, and just, you know, oh, close friends from high school, you know, and you kind of use that as an excuse to be on either of those platforms. Nowadays, the kids have TikTok. You know what TikTok's all about? None of that. It's all about pure views, Look what amazing or stupid thing I just did, and watch it as many times as possible. Yes, this is what feeds the next generation's identity. Uh, So all this is happening, and what does Jesus have to say about our need for attention? What does Jesus have to speak into this cultural moment we're in right now? Let's read our text. Here we go, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that by giving or sorry, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He goes on to talk about prayer. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now skip down to verse 16, fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face, like clean up, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, first, let's talk about what this passage is not. There's a lot going on here. But it is not a step-by-step outline of how to practice spiritual disciplines or good works. If it was, there would be way too many details missing within each one of those things, praying, fasting, giving, not to mention a host of other spiritual disciplines such as silence and solitude. Studying the scriptures is not there. Did you notice that? Or memorizing the scriptures or meditating, all these good, healthy things. So this is not a step-by-step outline of spiritual disciplines. Instead, Jesus teaches on these three things particularly because they were pillars in Judaism during that day. Notice Jesus says, when you give, not if you give, right? When you, when you pray, as in everybody's doing these things. 
Now, to understand that a little bit, like, what's this whole horn thing about? Well, when you'd go to the synagogue, there was the place that you would give your money or your tithe or whatever was this horn-type thing, and it would make a loud noise when you'd put money in. It's just like a cha-ching, you know, think like, uh, uh, think like the money. What are, what are I trying to say right now? Slot machines, thank you. You guys are paying attention, that's good. You know, cha-ching, cha-ching, and you know, if you're giving a lot, like, loud noises are happening, right? Cha-ching, 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 you know, so people could do this on their way into the synagogue. Now, to that point more, uh, the synagogue, like, all of life in this time was centered around the synagogue. You would go there, for example, to pray three times a day. If you were just a normal Jew, this was a normal rhythm every day to go to the synagogue and pray. Not only that, you'd go there to hear teachings. You'd go there to hear the scriptures, right? You didn't have your own personal Bible. That wouldn't come for 1,500 years later, right? So you need to go to the synagogue to hear a teaching. Not only that, but the synagogue was also like the center of the town as it relates to like schooling. So you would take your kids to the synagogue as a means for schooling. Does that make sense? All that to say, you bump into people all the time at the synagogue, wouldn't you? I mean, it's no different than coming to, like, West Side Tacos or West Side Local or Wild Ride, you know? Like, if you're going to go to one of those places, you're probably going to see somebody you know, right? Likewise was a synagogue. Now, uh, Jesus' point is simply, here's the religious stuff you typically do if you're a Christian, fasting, praying. You know, for us, the equivalent might be something like, what we're doing right now, coming to church on a Sunday. Or how about reading your Bible, like your daily devotions? You know, this is just normal rhythms that Christians do. Or how about posting C.S. Lewis quotes on social media? Anybody? Yeah, just normal Christian routines, you know? But again, this is not a list or overview of spiritual disciplines. Now, second thing this list is not. Jesus is not speaking against good works, Okay? We have to hold this whole list in context. Remember at the beginning of Sermon Amount, a month ago I taught on this, you are the light of the world. You're the city on a hill, a bunch of lights coming together when we worship. And then he goes and make the point, you, you like light a lamp or you turn on a bright light, you wouldn't cover it with a basket, right? No, we are the light, so we need to do good works. That's okay. But what Jesus is getting at is what is our motivation behind those good works? What is our motivation behind that? We're going we're gonna to camp on that in a few minutes now, uh, in a few minutes later. So I want to look at this verse, this section, verse by verse, and we're going to start pulling the pieces together, figuring out what it is actually saying. So look down at your scriptures, at your Bible. Verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So the first line outlines the entire section for us, this whole first line. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's an outline for the whole section to come. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's the reward? Now, it would be easy if you were like me growing up, you would think like, oh, this is just something God's going to give you when you get to heaven. You know, something you really wanted on earth, but then you had to wait, right? No, that's not what the reward is. In fact, Matthew's going to tell us exactly what the reward is in a second. He says, so when you give, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, stop for a second. That word hypocrites uh, in Jesus' time simply meant performers or actors or actresses. It did not have the connotations that it has today as a bad word, like a negative thing. Incidentally, because Jesus said it here, 
you know, 2,000 years later, it's a bad word, isn't it? Like, don't be like the hypocrites. That's how we think of it. But in Jesus' day, it's just simply performers and actors. Uh, so as a hypocrite, the performers do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Okay, so what's the reward? To be honored by others. That's the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees in secret will reward you. What does he reward you with? Honor, right? The father honors what you have done. Now, this goes on. I'm just going to skip down the end of verse 6. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the invitation to the secret life, direct access to the Father. Again, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans so they think they will be heard because of their many words. Um, So culturally, the pagans in that day would exert a ton of energy to make God hear them. That's what they thought would get the attention of God, right? Oh, I just need to to pray the same over and over and over again with more energy. And you'd see this actually in the Old Testament. There's examples of the pagan prophets doing this to try to get God to act But Jesus says, no, you guys are different. In fact, I do want you to pray with persistence. More on that in chapter 7. We don't have time today. And then again, skipping the verse 16 to 18, it's more of the same. The Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so now we understand this section. This teaching from Jesus isn't a short list of spiritual disciplines. It's also not necessarily about hypocrisy. No, instead, it focuses on our personal motivation to do spiritual things. Our personal motivation to do spiritual things. Now, let me ask you, is hypocrisy an issue in the church today? Yeah, big time. We camped there for a while. Just the last few months, another big leader from a big influential church took a fall again. And he's going through the restoration process, but... It just is another thing that the media wants to talk about, right? Look at this great, big, amazing Christian who is a hypocrite. Underneath the surface, they were living a different life. And so it'd be easy. It'd be easy to talk about hypocrisy right now. The media loves to talk about it. Jesus confronts it constantly. We'll see that throughout the book of Matthew. But guess what? Jesus goes somewhere else with this teaching. Because right in the middle of these three things is the Lord's Prayer as if to keep us from simply making a section about hypocrisy or good works alone. So now, here's the obvious question. What does our need for attention have to do with the Lord's Prayer? What does our need for attention have to do with the Lord's Prayer? Now, the Lord's Prayer is wrapped up in the idea. This is is new for me, by the way. I just saw this the last few weeks studying this. The Lord's Prayer is wrapped up in the idea that the Father knows what you need. So we're going to read it that way. We're going to go line by line, and I'll break it up a little bit here and there, but let's start at verse 8. Do not be like them, the performers who want attention of others, for you, or sorry, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray, our father in heaven. Stop. This first statement is our belonging. This is our citizenship. We belong to the family of God. We are adopted in. So we approach God and we say, Father, yes. Hallowed be your name. 
God is holy. He's good. He's complete. He's full of life. Are we? No. We need his holiness, don't we? It shows us the need for holiness. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How badly do we need his kingdom to come right now? Yes, so much. His rule, his love, his mercy to save and heal their sickness, to save and heal and restore destruction. And then verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Now, I love this. He knows that we have physical needs too. It's not all spiritual. He knows that we have physical needs too. He wants us to be comfortable asking for those things. Heal our sickness. Feed us. Help me find a job, Lord. Would you help keep a roof over our heads? Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So God knows that we need to be forgiven. This is important. We need grace and mercy every single day. But that we also need to forgive others in order that we too can be made secure in our belonging. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God knows that we need deliverance. He knows that we need to be led step by step, and we need his help. Now, some manuscripts, later manuscripts, would end with, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Yes. We're moved to verse 14. There's a condition that needs, there's a condition to needs and belonging. This is fascinating. Verse 14 kind of like, kind of shocks you when you get there. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa, that's heavy tension. But God knows, as we saw earlier, that if we're going to be secure in our belonging, if we're going to receive forgiveness, we also need to not carry unforgiveness with us. We'll never experience the freedom, the belonging that we have in his family if we haven't forgiven others. So there you have it. The things we need most are met by our Father in heaven. What a relief, right? What a relief. We want and we think we need so many things. And Jesus just says, right here, right in plain sight, the Father knows. Go to him. Talk to him. Now, this rocked me. This last week, this totally rocked me. Um, I was really stoked about teaching on spiritual disciplines. Brett and I were in the back office, and he's like, Michael, you, you're so good at spiritual disciplines. I don't know where you got that. Um, you're so good at all that stuff, man. You've read so many books. Like, let's do it. Let's talk about all the spiritual disciplines. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to teach on prayer. I'm going to teach on fasting. I'm going to teach on giving. And I got really excited. But then Jesus wanted me to work on belonging. Like, belonging? Really, Lord? My identity? Yes, belonging to the Father, the one whose attention I truly need. So I had to divert. This whole study had to go a total different direction. What you and I need most is to recover our sense of belonging. We need to hear it. We need to soak it in. The words of our Father in heaven, like Jesus at his baptism. Remember Jesus at his baptism. Clouds part, and the Father speaks This is my child in whom I am well pleased. Oh, he said that to Jesus, not us. Oh, no, no, no. Because now, if you follow Jesus, as Paul says, you are in Christ. 
And therefore, the same words that the Father spoke on Jesus, he can speak to you. That's wild. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. The words of Paul, for he chose us. In love, he predestined us, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Jesus makes our behavior about belonging. That's what ultimately shapes our identity. Um, my father-in-law, most of you guys know Perry, awesome, godly man. And when he was raising my wife, Monica, uh, they would often like go to coffee shops together, and, and people were pretty struck by the beauty of my wife. I know. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. I'm scoring points here. <laughs> and so they would say, oh, my gosh, this is your daughter. Oh, she is beautiful. And Perry would always say, yes, yes, she is beautiful. She's also beautiful on the inside. And I know that sounds a little bit cheesy, Hallmark action, you know, but it's that the thing that he said there over and over again as Monica was getting compliments, but she's beautiful on the inside. Do you think he was saying that for the people that were saying it, to, that noticed it about Monica? He wasn't saying it for them, was he? He was saying it for Monica so that she would continue to grow secure in her identity. Yes, it's okay to be beautiful on the outside, but what's also important is to be beautiful on the inside. This sounds so fluffy right now. Um, so if you're like a hardcore guy and you're like, what is this whole teaching about belonging? Just hang with me, okay? Hang with me. There's a purpose here. Belonging and behavior. Belonging and behavior. Now, again, there's a lot going on in this teaching under the surface. I think you guys are seeing it. We're going to take some liberty with this passage, though. Instead of getting attention from others, we need to pay attention to the Father. In other words, what motivates our behavior is the attention of the Father. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you guys know that actor? He was in Inception. He was like a secondary role in Inception or like 500 Days of Summer. Uh, Joseph, you guys all know him. JGO. <laughs> in a recent TED Talk on distraction versus attention, he laid out the central dilemma, and he argues that, I'll put it up on the screen, seeking attention will, yes, get you noticed, but not optimally, not in service of the art, the science, or the work at hand, for us, God the Father in our case. No, you have to pay attention. Not seek attention, but pay attention. And this article, it concluded, in short, letting go of our desire for attention can have a benefit that can transcend the rewards of receiving attention. Because in a world where our attention is monetized, that's what happens on social media. Your attention is monetized. Finding ourselves able to focus for the sake of focusing without desiring anything else can set us apart, evolve us into leaders and masters in our own right. The attention we need is paying attention to the Father, which feeds our identity and affirms our belonging. So why does belonging matter, you ask? Well, it might help to think about Maslow. You think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You guys know what I'm talking about? Psychologists. This is just basic. He actually said uh, that the need for belonging helped people to experience companionship and acceptance through family, friends, and other relationships. That is, belonging comes right after our basic need for food and shelter, right? I need food. I need shelter. I need to belong. I need to have a sense of belonging. So that's what the world says about belonging, that same article concluded, belonging motivates our behavior. And so the conclusion for us is simple. 
Our sense of belonging is tied, for, is tied with our behavior. I'm going to put a slide up here that shows us this. When we give attention to the Father, we find belonging, we behave differently. Belonging and behavior. And I made this little thing, this little graph to kind of show us how this works. If you think of the arrows like attention, if our behavior would direct us to the Father, we then have a sense of our belonging. We're secure in who we are. And then when we go out to the world, school place, or to work, or to hang with our friends, we then have a behavior, both spiritual and emotional, that portrays the Father's character because we spent time with him, right? And this just keeps going in a circle. And then once we're out in the world and we're hanging out, we realize, I need to go spend time with the Father again. I need to go be made secure again in my identity. And this is, this is really the Christian life right here. This is what the faith is for all of us. It's making time to be with the Father, getting a sense of our belonging, which then adapts our behavior. As Richard Foster put it, in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, and to love the things he loves. I'm going to leave that on the screen for now. I want you guys to keep looking at that. The Lord's Prayer is a gift to alter our behavior. Prayer does not stop with the amen. It rises to its feet, to its feet and it walks off. It walks off with a built-up yearning turned into a type of behavior. Now, for years, I thought that the Lord's Prayer is a commitment of the prayer, right? The person saying the prayer. Uh, the values of the Lord's Prayer is what mattered. But it's not so simple as that. In fact, nobody said it better than Frank Lubach. We'll put this quote on the slide as well. It, the Lord's Prayer, is the prayer most used and least understood. People think they're asking God for something. They are not. They are offering God something. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer to God to do something we want done. It is more nearly God's prayer to us to help him do what he wants done. He wanted that entire prayer answered before we prayed it. The Lord's prayer is not intercession. It's enlistment. That's a little more manly, right? Yeah, it's enlistment. (laughs) Going to war here. So redeemers, pay attention. God is fighting for your attention. We need to lean into these moments with him. Personal, yes, daily in devotion. Don't give that up. Every day, lean into it. Spend time with our Father. Also on Sundays, when we're here, don't make this simply a performance. Don't make Brett and I do cartwheels up here to try to keep you entertained. Instead, devote this time to our Father in heaven. We're going to land the plane here. Uh, I love this quote. Um, It's a guy I had the privilege of interviewing She wrote a book about adoption, like holistically, all that entails an adoption. But then she also talked about how the scriptures talk about it. And her conclusion was simply, what is necessary for belonging is the habit of showing up for one another, a steadfast presence that endures on good days and bad. That's so good. What is necessary for belonging is the habit of showing up for one another, a steadfast presence that endures on good days and bad. So again, we're going to end right here. Uh, in a second here, I'm going to put on my guitar. 
And while I'm doing that, I would love if you guys, with your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. In Britain, I'm going to play a little pad in the background. Oh yeah, Holy Spirit is here. <laughs> you can turn it down a little bit. That's fun. <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to work. At some point, I'm going to be over there with a the guitar. <laughs> oh. Luke 10 home of Martha and Mary. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. No coincidence, if you were to keep reading, the next thing that Luke decides to write about is the Lord's Prayer. It's fitting. You know, that passage about Mary and Martha, I talk about it often uh, with different service, different people that I'm leading in the church because I found out that there is a deep identity crisis even within the church as we serve as volunteers. For years, for years, I spent time telling my volunteers, hey, you're a servant first. Before you're a cool electric guitar player or a cool drummer or whatever you are, you're a servant first. And that's what Jesus was. He chose to serve his disciples. And that was really good. Again, for years, I was taught that, and I taught that for others. And it kept things, like, in line, you know? And I don't remember when it happened, but at some point, I discovered that that was a false sense of identity, that instead, our first identity is as a son and daughter of God. Our first identity is as a child of God. And that would affect the rest perfectly. Then after that, once we are a son and child, then, yes, we follow the ways of Jesus and we serve others. And then after that, yeah, we do whatever it is that God has gifted us with. But without that first thing in the place, you end up being a wreck. You get worn out. You get tired. You're stressed and you're anxious about many things, like Martha, when one thing is needed to spend time with God. Yeah? So we're going to transition to doing that. I want you guys to go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to commit the next 10 minutes to spending time with our Father. There's song. In a moment here, I'm going to open the tables. Do not rush to the tables yet. I know it's been a little chaotic the last few months, but just wait. We're going to spend a whole song just spending time with our Father. You can journal, you can pray, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. If you find yourself being like, I don't know what to do in this moment, just read scripture. That's always a great go-to. For some of you that have been in church longer, you can ask Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me right now? I'm listening. 
then allow the Spirit to say whatever He wants. might put somebody in your mind, somebody that you need to pray for. Maybe it's somebody that you need to forgive. That's certainly what happened to me this last week. I got to that section about not being forgiven unless you forgive, and I was like, okay, Lord, we need to do business. (laughs) I've got some people that I need to forgive. 